Our brother Ivan Ung is speaking today, uh, and Ivan, uh, being gone all this last week, was so uh, gracious to fill in uh, the pulpit for me, and uh, he's got a message prepared on Hebrews chapter 3. Ivan is a student at MICA, Maryland Institute of Cultural Arts. He's been with us for uh, a number of years. Um, Ivan would be probably an elder in a couple years, but he's leaving us, all right? Well, I didn't know that was happening. Though. Well, I never told you that. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's it's kind of like uh, you know, it's yeah, it is what it is. I, I was gonna, you know, this summer it would have happened actually. Well, no, I'm just playing. Well, it's God's timing, I guess. But yeah. Ivan will be heading back to Singapore this summer, um, and we will see him in eternity. Uh, I, I'll be visiting. <laughs> right. Thank you. Um, you know, when I was putting this on, I was thinking, like, when Joel puts this on, he's like, you know, pastor ready to preach. When I put, put this on, I look like, you know, a Korean star that's almost like, you know, like break out in my dance. Uh, okay, so I'm uh, going to be sharing on Hebrews 3 today. Uh, would you turn with me to Hebrews 3? Uh, reading from verse 7 onwards. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I'm angry with this generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, till the end the confidence we had at first. As, uh, as, has been, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that we are, we were, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Let us pray. Father, we come before you t this morning and we ask that you speak through the word. Lord, we are sinners and rebels in front of you. Uh, and uh, we have nothing, we have no offering to give from ourselves. Lord, we pray that you teach us from this passage about uh, our rebellious hearts, our hardened hearts. And um, we pray that you uh, give us encouragement. Help us lean on to Christ for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so after hearing the, the passage of Scripture being read, how do you feel? Um, afraid? Worried? Anyone? Yeah, I, I was afraid. Um, we, we feel afraid because uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us of, um, of our rebellion. Even those of us who are professing believers in Jesus. I can remember 
standing in the immigration line in JFK for the first time when I, when I came into the US on a student visa. Uh, that was in, in 2012. I had my valid passport and my visa and my I-20 form, but I was worried, you know, because this is not my country. I have no right, I actually don't have a right to be here. And I, but I'm hopeful to, to start, you know, a college education here, a good one. And when I was standing in line, I saw this, you know, like serious looking border agent. Uh, and I think they're paid to be, you know, they're paid to look mean. Um, and he looks like he means business. And I wasn't sure if I was gonna get through or I would be turned back and sent back uh, to my country on the next plane. Um, and this is similar to, I feel like this is similar to what the passage describes. Uh, we have the right documents to enter into the kingdom, Jesus' blood covering us. But we actually don't have the right to be there because chances are, uh, although we profess belief in Jesus, that he is our Lord and our only hope, uh, there are times where we've hardened our hearts against him and chose sin over him. Then after doing that, we ask ourselves, uh, is he then really our Lord? Uh, I was raised in a non-Christian family, uh, pretty much atheist, and growing up, uh, because of a series of circumstances, I developed this like overfed appetite uh, for pornography, among other sexual sins. Uh, I actually come from a, a similar background as uh, Jackie Hill Perry, um, and when the Lord called me to himself eight years ago, uh, when I was 17, he started to sanctify this area of my life. I received like Christian counseling, attended support groups, and even after coming to Baltimore, uh, I'm, I'm a part of this organization called Regeneration, which walks along men and women uh, leaving sexual sin and uh, pursuing holiness uh, with Jesus in the realm of uh, their sexuality. Mm, I, I left behind, uh, on the table behind, I left a few postcards. Uh, we have a um, testimony night a banquet coming up uh, on Thursday, so if you're interested, pick up one and uh, let me know. So my, my pornography appetite uh, was not like before, you know, praise the Lord. It is not like before. Um, hold on. You know, I have a clearer view of men and women as bearers of the image of God. Um, and not as objects of fantasy and idolatry. I've learned that, um, you know, in pornography, like, uh, the images and the storylines are utterly false, and the people in it uh, are actors who are often oppressed and in addictions themselves. Uh, I've learned that that damages um, the relationships, uh, my relationships with the people around me. And I have boundaries for myself, you know, like a really strong filter on my computer. I don't have, you know, I don't have a smartphone. I'm one of those guys with those, like, you know, dumb phones. Um, you know, as, as good as, you know, so those are good things. Uh, but also at the same time, occasionally I find myself, in spite of knowing all these things and having all these things in place, jumping headfirst into that, despite of what I know. Why do I do that? Right? I think a lot of us identify with that in different ways in our lives. Um, Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says, Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. As I looked at my own heart and my life with the Lord, I'm convinced that I'm just a rebel against the king. Uh, sometimes I can be praising one minute, you know, hallelujah, right there. Um, and then the next minute, I'm harboring hateful, accusing thoughts towards a brother or lusting after another person. Uh, I love God, but... Yet my actions and sometimes my choices make me seem like I don't love him after all. How many of you feel this way? Um, if, there, if it's any comfort, we're not alone. 
uh, this rebellious and honestly kind of confusing nature seems to be the human condition. I've been reading through the life of David in my uh, devotions this past month, and David is the man, as we, a lot of us know, has been called by God as the man after his own heart. And I've been really moved by King David's um, compassion for other people and how he reveres God. Yet he is not excused from this odd kind of uh, double-mindedness um, that we all struggle with. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, um, his love for God, David's love for God, compels him to throw away his dignity as the king, to dance in his underwear in public, to celebrate the return of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Yeah, in the same passage, he seems to harden his heart towards his wife and withholds uh, his affection towards her. And uh, God gives David and his army victory over the Ammonites in 2 Samuel chapter, Second Samuel chapter 10. Uh, yet in the next chapter, he commits adultery. He murders one of his uh, most faithful warrior, warriors to cover it up. Um, in chapter 20, 22 and 23 of 2 Samuel, David's last words were recorded. Uh, and he was praising God and telling of God's faithfulness and how God delivered him from his enemies. Yet in the next chapter, he commits the most consequential sin um, in, his, as he, in his rule as king, um, and which caused the death of 70,000 Israelites. Uh, he ordered an unauthorized census, counting the number of fighting men in Israel as though Israel's army was his own and not God's. And God has explicitly commanded that... Um, earlier that that cannot be done. So what is going on, you know? Why do we believe one thing for a second and do the complete opposite in the next? Uh, despite our efforts to love God and honor Him, uh, we fall repeatedly to sin and we wander away. Uh, our hearts by, by, are by nature uh, rebellious and easily hardened. That's what I learned. Um, again, verse 10 says, their, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. Verse 12 says, a sinful and unbelieving heart turns away from the living God. Why are we always going astray? Why are our hearts always turning away from the living God? My, my parents, um, so I, you know, I was raised without, without God in my family, and my parents converted to Christianity, actually, uh, when I was in America. I was like, what happened, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I didn't um, believe it at first. I had... Um, they told me over Skype, and I had to go home and like inspect their lives to see whether the conversion was real, because they were the most like worldly, uh, secular people I know. I actually, when I became Christian, they would mock me and they would laugh at me for being Christian and think, you know, it's a, just a phase. And uh, when I told them, oh, I don't actually want a car, like a big car, a Honda would be fine. I don't want to live in an expensive house, you know, a, a, a small condo would be fine. Uh, they, they laughed at me and they said, huh, you don't know, you know, you, you're still young. You don't know what life is about. They would say th things like that to me. So after my parents converted, they were very excited actually about the gospel and what they're learning in church. And one day my dad called me and he said, hey, you know, I learned about this thing, about the, you know, what, what's called the living sacrifice. Uh, and his pastor was talking about it, and he was sharing it with me. He said, um, God calls us to be offered as living sacrifices. But imagine if you put a live chicken on the altar. The chicken runs away, right? Uh, it goes astray and it runs away. Um, and God knows that, and he's gracious, and he runs after the live chicken to put it back onto the altar. He runs after the living sacrifice, and he puts it back on the altar. 
Um, and he does it through a passage like this. This passage helps us peel back the layers of sin and rebellion to see what is underneath, like an onion, you know? Like layer by layer, you see what is underneath. And it shows us why we rebel and how we can respond to it. Uh, Cy Rogers, uh, a pastor who teaches extensively on sexuality, um, says this about sin. He says that sin is Satan's way of getting our real legitimate needs met outside of God's provision. And this is what I learned and, and know to be true in my own life. Um, I, I've learned that, you know, underneath my sins there, uh, and I think for a lot of us, uh, underneath the, the sins there are usually legitimate needs. Uh, when we lust, it's not always because we're just feeling sexual. Underneath the lust, there's usually the desire to behold beauty and to have intimacy. And when we are greedy, underneath uh, the greed is the legitimate desire to be provided for. Uh, when we envy others, there is a legitimate desire for significance and worth. When we idolize another person, there's a perceived insufficiency on our part of some sort. And when we manipulate others, uh, there's a desire to feel secure. Uh, and we often talk about, yeah, these sins we commit, uh, lust, greed, envy, idolatry, manipulation, but we hardly talk about the greater sin that underpins all of that, which is the sin of rebellion. Uh, this is something that was kind of pointed out to me recently. I never thought of uh, rebellion as sin. I just thought, you know, I was just sinful. But I, I, someone pointed, one mentor of mine pointed out that underneath your sins, there's actually this undercurrent of rebellion that's fueling the sinful de- behaviors. Uh, to rebel is to resist authority, to deliberately go against what we, we know that God has commanded us to do, uh, has commanded us to do. And, you know, people just don't do things for no reason. We all do things for reasons. And why is it that we rebel? Verse 12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this verse seems to suggest that the cause of rebellion actually is unbelief. In, in, um, in, in this uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8 talks about a certain kind of rebellion. It says, uh, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Uh, it actually refers to the Israelites' rebellion in the desert in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Um, so there, there they were, you know, outside um, the promised land, and they sent 12 spies into the promised land to, to, to you know, just check it out and see what's there. Uh, all the spies came back and confirmed that the land was amazing and that God, uh, as God has promised, uh, it was flowing with milk and honey. Um, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said they should try to enter it and conquer it. And then uh, the other 10 actually recommended that, that the Israelites do not enter the land, uh, but because its inhabitants were too strong, uh, that Israel cannot prevail against them. So upon hearing this, the people were like, really upset, like the passage that Andrea read. They were like, angry and say, oh, you know, like, why did God bring us out here to die? It's better that we stayed in Egypt um, and, uh, as slaves. And they wanted to reappoint another leader uh, to take them back to Egypt. Uh, to return to slavery uh, because they perceived that God's plans were better. Um, no, slavery was better than God's plans. And they attempted, uh, in that process, they attempted to stone Moses and Aaron. <laughs> uh, in the midst of this commotion, God appeared in front of the whole congregation of Israel. And the Lord said, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? Uh, and these people were the ones who saw the ten plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, and the manna and quail. It's so interesting, you know, I, I just, 
this morning I was like reading up this chapter about the quail, and I thought, huh, God's like God has a sense of humor because the 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 Israelites were complaining, oh, we don't have meat. You know, in Egypt, Egypt we had like fish that cost us nothing. We want to eat meat. We're always eating manna, and we're sick of it. So God sent them like a lot of quail. <laughs> the quail, according to the Bible, filled. Uh, as far as the eyes can see around the camp, and one meter high. That's a lot of quail. And he said, I'll make you, give you so much quail that you become sick of it. Um, so going back to this, like the Lord declared, after this rebellion, the Lord declared that those who participated in the rebellion, um, all who are above 20, will not be able to enter the land. So for, from this, we, we see that it's like their lack of belief in God and that he is good causes them to rebel against him. So I, I kind of like thought about more, more so the, the concept of unbelief, the idea of unbelief, and I saw, I, I kind of condensed it down to three kinds of unbelief that we have. The first one is unbelief in the character, uh, the perfect character of God. Why is it that we rebel against a perfect, kind, and just God? I went to China this summer uh, in the northwestern region, the region that's bordering Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, in this region called Xinjiang. And these people over there, they're ruled by the Chinese government, but they're, they're ethnically not Chinese. Uh, they're this ethnic group called the Uyghurs, and they're culturally just more similar with the Kazakh and the Kyrgyz. Um, and uh, they, they're Muslim, and they speak um, a language that's close, uh, closely tied to Turkish. In, in this region, there, were, there are still a lot of uprisings and rebellions involving the Uyghurs against the Chinese government. Uh, and people don't just like rebel for no reason, right? There's usually discontent uh, pent up and also the perception that the government does not have the best interests of the people at heart. So in the same way, we rebel against God because we don't believe in his perfect character. We're like, are you really that good, God? Do you really, uh, are you really that faithful to us? Uh, we rebel because we do not believe that he is perfect, kind, and as just as he claims. Uh, this kind of unbelief is actually an accusation towards God's character. This kind of unbelief says, you know, I don't believe that God will provide for me, so I'm going to go secure my provision myself. Uh, I don't believe that I will be satisfied in God alone, so I have to go secure my satisfaction myself through other means. I don't believe that God has attributed uh, intrinsic worth in me, uh, so let me go acquire my worth. I think a lot of these things, uh, we don't like verbalize these statements. We, they occur in split-second thoughts uh, before uh, we go make our decisions uh, and rebel in sin. Uh, we don't believe uh, in the pe perfection of his character and the good of his ways. This causes us to uh, rebel and go our own way. The second kind of rebellion uh, is, uh, the second kind of unbelief, I mean, um, is unbelief through selective belief. Uh, we pick and choose uh, which of God's character we want to believe, like ordering Chipotle, you know? Uh, can I have the mild and hot salsa, extra corn and sour cream? I only want goodness, compassion, and graciousness on the side. No discipline and consequence, please. Uh, believe it or not, whether we believe it or not, like God is still all those things. Uh, and this partial selective belief, which forms, you know, kind of an unbelief, makes rebellion easier for us. Yeah, a partial belief in the character of God. And the third one is unbelief that sin actually injures us. Sin uh, injures us and strains our relationship with God and the fellowship with the body. 
And how do we attend to this injury? Uh, in, in James 5.16 says, uh, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, let's say if you were to tell me, Ivan, you have this like huge gash on your back. And you know, like the, the area of your back that you can't really reach? A uh, huge gash. Um, and I'm losing a lot of blood. Uh, but if I don't believe what you said, you know, I can't see it myself, I won't attend to it, right? Um, when we don't believe that sin injures us, we don't intend to that injury to heal it. So as a, as a foreigner, I'm going to tell another story. As a, as a foreigner coming to live in America, I have many jokes of my experiences of cultural misalignments to tell. Uh, so many things are so different from where I grew up. Uh, in case you didn't know, like, I grew up in Singapore, um, and it's English-speaking because we used to be a British colony, so we inherited a lot of those systems. Um, although I grew up speaking the same language as you guys, when I first came over, I had a lot of trouble adjusting to the way Americans spoke and to speak in a way that they understood. I remember my, I think my first or second week in church, uh, after church, I was, tell, I, I, I was prepared to leave, I was going to leave, and I told Joel, like, hey, Joel, I'm going off first. And Joel was like, hmm? Uh, yeah, the, by that I meant I was leaving. Yeah, but for us, it's like, saying going off first, it means like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving ahead of everyone. But to, to you guys, it's like, huh? <laughs> you know? Um, so, and even like, responding to the greetings of people, there's some, some conventions are just like so different, you know? Where I'm from, uh, people are less vocal, and... Uh, when it, especially when it comes to like greeting acquaintances like your neighbor that you're not really friends with, uh, the, the familiar face that you would see, it would just be like, you know, a smile or a hello or a head nod, you know. Um, so when I first came here, like when people on the street or like bare acquaintances would just like say like, what's up, what's going on to me, I'll be like, I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there were, like, several times that I actually froze. I, like, hesitated. I didn't know what to say. An American friend, a kind American friend, actually had to, like, walk me through what to say. Like, oh, when someone says, what's up, just say nothing much and walk off. Or, or like, just, just smile and then, like, just walk off. Um, uh, and there were several times, actually, someone asked me, how are you, to me. And I actually went on this, like, unwelcome monologue about, like, how I was doing. And I, I was really confused when they just actually, like, kept on walking. I was like, this person's so rude. <laughs> um, so, but over time, I discovered that, oh, wait, that's just a greeting, you know? Um, after several strange and awkward experiences, I realized, oh, that's just a greeting that I'm just expected to say, I'm good, how are you? Uh, you know? And... This culture of, like, I'm good, thanks, uh, is often part of church culture as well. Uh, we choose to keep people out instead of taking risks of letting people in. Uh, and I call this actually a form of rebellion also. I call this, the, uh, this, this thing the social saint. Um, it's a form of rebellion that's fueled by our unbelief. Rebellion is not limited to sinful behaviors. It also has to do with the rejection of God's call for us of how to live our lives. Um, the social saint, which I'm guilty of also, is a false representation of myself. You know, always being the good Christian who's able to preach a sermon, who's always, I'm good and serving the Lord. Um, this is a mechanism that we develop uh, to keep people out. Uh, we're constructing an image of ourselves that allows us to corral those secret sins 
a little while longer because uh, we don't have accountability. Uh, we construct images, images of ourselves that makes others think highly of us, higher than we actually are. Uh, we pretend that we have it all together because we perceive that everyone else does. Um, I think this also is, like, from my observation, tied to, you know, the, the, the conception that America has of, um, many Americans have of individualism, uh, American exceptionalism, and that also manifested in the way we organize our suburbs, you know, our own, like, uh, walled-in space, distance from your neighbors, <laughs> my own sanctuary. No one's supposed to come in and see the mess. Um, here, uh, by, by this social saint thing we do, we rebel against God's commands of how to live in community. Uh, as I read in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Galatians 6, uh, 1-2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so, so to fulfill the law of Christ. The social saint uh, is the fruit of rebellion against the call to confess our sins to one another uh, so that we are healed. Uh, it is our way of rebelling against being restored. Underneath, underneath that, underneath this rebellion is unbelief that sin has injured us and we're in deep need of healing. So it's like if you don't believe that you're bleeding, you won't go and fix it. So uh, we believe that we're bleeding out because we don't believe that we're bleeding out and losing a lot of blood. So from these, uh, this incident in Numbers, the rebellion, and verse 19 in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, which says uh, unbelief preventing us, uh, unbelief is the thing that prevents us from entering God's rest. Um, we see that unbelief is the foundation of our rebellion and sins. Um, uh, an unbelieving heart turns away from the living God. So when men, many preachers, when they get to a passage like that, they would say this, um, also we should learn uh, not to be like the Israelites. Uh, they are unbelieving. We shouldn't be like them. But I think, like, uh, that was, that's how my church back at home kind of preaches. But I think after coming to America and coming here and, like, experiencing, you know, the, the experiences that God has allowed me to have in the past few years, I just feel like uh, I, I'm like the Israelites, exactly like the Israelites. I'm unbelieving. I'm ungrateful. I'm sinful. Uh, I'm always complaining. Uh, I... Like, I realize that I'm that. Instead of pointing my fingers at them and saying, don't be like them, I won't be like them. I realize that I'm them. Um, we're all prone to, to rebellion, brothers and sisters, and we're exactly like the Israelites. So in this time, what should our response be? We should, like, be, we should respond like the, the, the guy who, whose son was demonized uh, in the Gospels. And uh, he came to Jesus, and he said, uh, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. Let us cry, cry out to God and say, like, you know, I really uh, am an unbeliever. I'm always prone to rebellion. Help me in my unbelief. Uh, but also, the, this passage does not leave us in our unbelief. It presents this uh, antidote, this medicine for the unbelieving hardened heart. Uh, verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you might be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the medicine to an unbelieving, uh, hardened heart is encouragement in the context of community. And many of you know, as Joel said, I'm leaving the country. 
Uh, it's been four years, and I'm going to graduate, and I'm returning home to Singapore. Oh, well, thanks, Tony. <laughs> I hope I hope you're clapping because I'm like graduating, not because I'm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a pretty interesting journey, uh, and like uh, the garden has loved me so well in my time here. I came here my first Sunday uh, in America, and I just stayed. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I I stayed, but I it's not like I you know loved it. You know, off the off the bat. In fact, when I came here for the first time, two people talked to me. Yeah, Joel and Matt Matheson. <laughs> yeah, I remember sitting with him, like trying to make awkward conversation. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I but the garden loved me so well in my time here. Um, you guys became my family in a place where I didn't have family. Uh, you guys welcomed me and took me in as an alien and a stranger, and you served me. Uh, before I leave, I just want to share with you uh, my desires for the church uh, in light of in what um, in light of encouragement being the the medicine uh, to unbelief all right the first thing uh, let us be an encouraging church that tells of god 's perfect character. Uh, one of our, my favorite authors, uh, Philip Yancey, uh, he writes a lot about suffering and unbelief and wrestling through doubt. Um, and he says, uh, when we struggle with unbelief, the thing to do is to press into the body of Christ. Uh, we see the char- manifestation of the uh, characteristics of God in the various parts of his body on earth. Let's be the church that testifies to the living God, telling of his perfect character uh, that's being made manifest in our lives in different aspects. Not everyone experiences God at, uh, in the same way at the same time. Uh, all of us have um, a whole network, a whole array of experiences with him at one given time. And let us be telling of that. Um, let us share those experiences. I remember uh, hearing Keisha's testimony uh, a few years ago when she got baptized. I didn't know her really, didn't know her then. Uh, and I, but I cried when I heard her testimony. Her story just taught me so much about God's faithfulness to all of us, and it really strengthened me. When we struggle with uh, believing in God's goodness in our lives because of circumstances in our lives, we seek to hear um, our brothers and sisters telling of God's goodness in their lives. When we struggle in believing in God's kindness, we seek to do the same, to hear what our brothers and sisters are saying about God's kindness in their lives. And we don't just only share the good things. We share the things that are difficult too. We share about God's loving discipline and how sometimes it's like kind of like shameful to share too I'm being disciplined by God. But I think in sharing that, you encourage your brothers and sisters. Uh, single people, share of how God has provided for you in your singleness and also use your flexibility for the kingdom. Uh, married people, share about how God has been faithful to you and your spouse in your marriage. Those at work, share of how God has opened doors for the gospel at work and how he has answered your prayers. Children, share about how you see God in your everyday lives. In those times, in our, unbeliefs, uh, in our unbelief, we borrow the testimonies of our brothers and sisters to strengthen our belief. Um, that causes our hope to rise uh, even when we're in the darkness. So next, next thing. Uh, let us be an encouraging church by being present. Um, don't neglect 
gathering in fellowship with one another, especially on Sunday. Uh, I swear this is not something Joel told me to say. <laughs> uh, this is really what I believe. Um, let's, let's say there's a really important meeting at work. And you're not like, you know, running the meeting or anything, but uh, you're just in charge of the PowerPoint slides. You know, kind of like a background role. Uh, you make sure that you show up and fulfill your responsibility, right? Let's say you're in charge of refreshments at the meeting. You make sure you show up to, to do that. Um, what are the things we usually miss? Uh, if I had a late night the night before, I usually would, I, I may miss a breakfast gathering with friends in the morning. Uh, if I have too much work to do, I might tell my friends, oh, I can't go to New York this weekend uh, to hang out with you guys. Um, we miss these things because uh, we perceive that, oh yeah, we're not, we're not really needed there. It would be very different if you're like driving up to New York. You can't miss that. You know, if your friends are all counting on you to drive there, you can't say, oh, I'm not going. You're going to ruin everyone's plans. So if we miss church all the time, it's because we believe that we're not really needed here, right? Uh, we, we believe we can just like go in and come out. Um, but my encouragement to you, you all, all the brothers and sisters here is that we are all needed. Uh, you might not know how you're needed, but you're needed. Um, this is something kind of strange I encountered in America too. I think it's also part of this conception of individualism and you know, keeping people out. Um, people uh, want to, uh, like the way they like, organize their lives around church is like, oh, well, if I'm like busy, I won't come. If I had a late night, I won't come. Uh, if I'm like too tired, I won't come. Where the culture I come from, and I'm not raised in a church, you know, the culture that I've like received after joining a church is like, if you don't come to church on Sunday, you need to text someone and say, oh, I'm not coming this week. <laughs> you know, this is like so foreign. I think the first few times I texted Joel, it was like, oh, he was like, oh, thanks, you know. <laughs> um, but that's like the culture I came from of like, you don't miss church. You plan your life around church. Um, you plan all your activities around that because that's the place that you receive life and you're needed there. Um, you, h how do we know if we're, uh, let's say I show up this week, uh, I'm not preaching, I'm just sitting there, not even singing, and uh, someone, God might have that morning sent someone that needed encouragement that only I can give through the lens of my experience. If you're not there, that person won't be encouraged. So coming to church Yes, we get fed and we, get, um, we grow in fellowship with each other, but at the same time, we know that when we come to church, that God has a purpose for us. Sometimes maybe it's like, even like a smile from, from you to a newcomer will make them come back. You know, you don't know what God is going to do with your attendance in church, and we encourage each other by being present. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. Let us be an encouraging church uh, that is vulnerable to one another, uh, bearing one another's burdens and confess confessing our sins to one another. Um, the next time someone asks you in church, how are you? Uh, you need to count to three. Remember what Ivan said, count to three before you answer. Take stock. During when you're counting, take stock of what you're feeling and answer honestly. Um, those of us who want to ask, how are you doing or how are you, please be, pre be prepared to uh, no, please, please prepare, be prepared for the answer 
and bear that, burdens, uh, that, that person's burden. <laughs> uh, please pray for that person and follow up uh, throughout the week with that person. Uh, I, I hope that the garden will be a church mar- marked with vulnerability. Because bo- vulnerability snowballs, right? Uh, if we're vulnerable first, then others feel like they have the permission to be vulnerable too. Uh, because there's no fear of judgment, the, play, the, level, the, the playing field is level. Uh, I meet with Joel once a week to study the Bible, and um, it's been going on for a year or so. Uh, while we were talking, uh, he, one time he uh, confessed a sin to me, and after which I felt the, the permission to share with him some of mine. Um, and I felt the, and this sin has been something that the Holy Spirit kind of has been like, you know, kind of putting on my heart for a while to, to confess. Um, because my social saint, my version of the social saint, likes to be well-liked. I want everyone to like me. <laughs> um, especially those um, who are in authority. I want them to think highly of me. That's my social saint. It's difficult for me to share uh, my, my sins and my struggles with those in authority. Um, and those in authority in the church, when you share your confess your sins to those who are under you and those whom you trust, you actually release them, uh, you invite them to come out of their own darkness and into the light because you've leveled the playing field for them. You've invite them, invited them to like, join you in the light as you share, as you're vulnerable. I've learned also that confess- uh, confession forces us to acknowledge and wrestle with our own propensity for repeated recalcitrant sin. Uh, sometimes, Christians say, uh, sometimes people say that Christians are judgmental. When we judge harshly, it means that we ourselves have not wrestled with our own propensity for sin. Because if we have, uh, we would realize that we're not that great ourselves <laughs> and, and that we have no right to judge. We're in the pit with everyone else. Uh, this helps us to have compassion and mercy uh, towards those who are in sin and point them to the grace of God. Uh, let us be a church that is uh, humble, uh, a church that repents quickly, and a church that's willing to confess. Not a church without sin, uh, but one who repents quickly. Um, Matthew verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. From the life of David, uh, one thing I noticed uh, is not that he's without sin, as we, we know earlier, as I described earlier, he's, a, he's someone with a lot of sin. Um, but David is a guy who repents very quickly. It's like right away when he discovers, when he, he's aware, he repents. And he says, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. Um, In a church environment where confession, repentance, and vulnerability is commonplace, rebellion through being the social saint happens less. Uh, Because we look around and we're like, oh, everyone doesn't have their act together, actually. Uh, Everyone's like me. Uh, And and then from there, we, we freely go and share of our lives and of our struggles. And then the social saint dies. Um... So the next one, are you guys like tracking with me? Yes? Okay. The next one, uh, let us be a church that is quick to listen, quick to pray, and quick to walk alongside each other as we um, struggle um, 
with our sins instead of being quick to dispense advice. Yeah, that, that is um, something that we're all prone to do, including myself. When, when a brother and sister um, or sister confesses a sin to us, let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what is this brother or sister needing right now? It's not always advice on how to overcome that sin, uh, how to fix that problem, or, how, or what they should do. It may be, like, doing that may be discouraging to that brother or sister at times. And we're all prone to doing that, uh, if we ask ourselves. Instead, um, what they need might be, you know, just a shoulder to cry on, uh, a lis- uh, an ear that listens, uh, listens well, a mind that comes up with good questions to ask them, to help them understand why they're doing these things, or just a, ha- a pair of hands to prepare a nice meal for them. Um, when we are quick to dispense advice, we assume that we have um, intimate understanding of the circumstances of their lives and their relationship with God when we actually don't. Uh, it excuses us from listening ex- extensively and listening well. Uh, it's, it's like, okay, uh, I, I fixed your problem, moving on, you know? Um, when I've confessed my ongoing uh, sexual sin to uh, some Christians, when immediately they start giving me advice, I actually don't feel hurt at all. Uh, I'm like, you think I didn't think of that? You know? <laughs> you know, you think I don't know? I do know. You know, and my heart is hardened towards God. I don't have the desire to do what you're telling me to do. You know, it's like, that's like being real, right? If I really verbalize what I think, when sometimes when people give me advice that I didn't ask for, I'm like, you think I don't know? <laughs> but so by, by being quick to, to, to give advice, we're not telling our brothers and sisters that we're in the pit with you. You know, let's uh, lean on God's grace. Let's climb up together. It's like, oh, I know how to do this. Yeah, it's different. Uh, and we tend to leave our brothers and sisters with their hardened hearts and causing them to sometimes even harden more because they say, they think, oh, I, then no point in sharing. They're all just going to unload advice on me. I'm just going to deal with this myself or like just corral my sin even more. Uh, we're hardening, hardening their hearts instead of softening it towards God. So in summary, uh, I hope I, you know, peeled the onion for you guys. Um, and I hope some people are crying already because of the onion. Um, Underneath, uh, never mind, bad joke. <laughs> um, oh, underneath uh, sin is a greater sin of rebellion and the hardening of our hearts. Rebellion is not just sinful deeds, but also the rejection of what God has called us, how he has called us to live our lives, especially within the body of Christ. Um, Hebrews, 13, uh, Hebrews 3, 14 says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original conviction firmly to the very end. In times where we don't know if we are really Christians, let us call to Christ and say, help us in our unbelief. <laughs> um, ultimately, we, we trust God for our heart replacement. We are all rebels who have hardened our hearts towards God. We're all like sheep who, you know, turn away, who each went on our separate ways. We are living sacrifices who have ran away from the altar. Um, but Christ is the sacrifice that did not run away. 
In fact, he ran towards the altar. Thanks, Jaden, for saying that yesterday. He gave me the idea. <laughs> um, he ran towards the altar, towards being sacrificed to purchase our heart replacements. Uh, heart transplants are very expensive, and we cannot afford it ourselves. Uh, God has to purchase it for us by dying on the cross. And he paid the penalty for our rebellion and removed the separation between him and us. So when Jesus died on the cross, uh, the, the curtain was torn into two, right? Uh, according to the Bible, and the curtain in the temple was torn into two. Then his spirit was unleashed from that holy of holies, um, because the Israelites believed that God's spirit resided there. When the curtain was torn apart, the spirit was unleashed. Come, it came out, right? And uh, the Holy Spirit was, from then on, would indwell the hearts of believers. In Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 24 to 27, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put in put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the heart transplant and when he indels us. He replaces our hardened heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Uh, the, heart, the new heart is yielded to God and loves following his commands and it's soft and tender towards God. So if, you, if this morning you sense that you have a hardened heart, ask God to break that hardened heart. Uh, don't be discouraged because even in this season of the hardening of your heart, God has intended it to be purposeful. Because if you, if you come to think about it, like something that is like soft and squishy can't be broken. Right? Something that's hard can be split open, can be broken. And God says a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Instead, he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. If you do know that you have a new heart that loves and follows God's commands, yet you return um, to your ways of hardening and rebellion, don't be discouraged also. You know, your, your body is slowly getting used to this new transplant, uh, this new heart. And uh, for those of us who do know about, you know, a little bit about organ transplant, I don't claim to know a lot. Jen knows more than me. Uh, your, it's normal, uh, it, it takes a while for, you know, you're, you're, although the organ is like functioning in your body and helping your body um, live, especially if it's a heart or a kidney, important organs like that, it's helping your body, body function and stay alive. But the, the, your body, the fallen body, still perceives this new organ as a foreign tissue and your immune system, immune system wants to attack it. Um, so it's normal for us who receive this heart transplant for our old sin nature to fight against this new heart. And, and God has grace for you. He has provided his grace for you. His grace is sufficient for you as you deal with this new heart transplant. And he's given some medicine for you to make it better. <laughs> um, your new heart needs to be maintained and kept soft and alive with this new medicine, uh, which is the medicine of encouragement in the body of Christ. So praise the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for uh, paying the price for our new hearts. You didn't have to do that, but you did. Uh, out of your great love, you did. 
uh, we confess that we've hardened our, hardened our hearts against you. Uh, we have not um, lived as though you are our Lord often. Uh, we pray that this word will uh, be a seed planted in our hearts and it will take root and grow. Thank you, Lord. Uh, you've been good to us. Uh, you've been so faithful and kind to us. As for myself, Lord, uh, I pray for the garden and all the things that you're going to do through them. May this community be a community that's marked with encouragement by being vulnerable to each other, by um, listening to each other well, by a community that tells of your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.